The well was just as impressive as the onion farmer had suggested. Each of its five sides was made up of interconnecting staircases descending to the water and then disappearing into it. Some staircases had risers only a giant or a god could comfortably use, while others were more suitable for mortal traffic. One could pick any staircase to start, but as some disappeared at each level, many routes at the top led into fewer and fewer options as the well narrowed to the bottom. The miscellaneous crowd of pilgrims descending from all directions was funneled into just one line that snaked around four sides of the well, turning back on itself when it reached the fifth wall, reserved for the royal pavilion, and arriving finally at the altar just above the water. Magic well! Magic well! Magic well! Hello, devoted pilgrims. I'm Noelle. And I'm Caitlin. And this is the Atolian Archives, your Queen's Thief reread podcast to help you recover from Return of the Thief. It's May 16th, 2021, and today we are discussing Chapter 5 of Thick as Thieves. I want to, right at the beginning, right away, point out the end of this chapter, because at the end of this chapter, Kamet is in the lead. He sort of takes control. Costas wants to go and fight the slavers, and Kamet says, no, if they haven't picked up our trail, let's just keep going on. And Costas says, okay. And he follows Kamet's lead, and Kamet doesn't even really seem to think about the fact that he has given Costas direction. He just, it feels natural to do that. And that's a really big change. And I, I did notice a little, like a few other things in the chapter. He was anxious enough about the bill in the square to to argue with Costas about where to get the water and he won that argument and he was comfortable enough to make another joke at Costas's expense in this chapter. And once again speaking of Kamet being anxious about the notices in the square, the only reason that Kamet doesn't figure out that Mahusharesh is still alive in that scene is because he can't see um, the bills. So it's his his eyesight again being really crucial to the way that the story pans out and we get more of the background on his eyesight in this chapter jeffa told Kamet, if you're not outside as often as possible and in the sun uh your eyes are gonna you know go bad from looking at uh, papers and not enough light and Kamet says like oh i I tried to take his advice as often as i could but my eyesight weakened anyway which is like he's still putting a this is my fault, spin on it when it's Nehuzerus' fault. <laughs> if he just had proper light. Yeah, and good working conditions. And was allowed to go outside to save his eyesight more often. And these are really painful questions for Kamet. Like, where he came from, how he was captured, his childhood. And it, it seems to to Kamet that Costas doesn't really understand how painful these questions are, and I, I don't know whether Costas does or, or doesn't. He doesn't really press it after, but he, it's really poignant how he has been imagining all these years that the, the priests in the town that he came from are still there, and that they're still writing down all their records and, and, and going about their business, and he, he like consciously thinks for the first time, that they must have all been killed. He says, I had blamed myself for my fate because his mother told him, like, you, 
you're here because you ran back to the house instead of going on to the temple. And it took Costas' question of, oh, the temple was fortified then to make him see it in a new light. Mm -hmm. Gamet says, you know, after he was captured, he told, he showed his new master that he knew how to write and was given an extra cup of water and got to ride a mule. And he says the other slaves resented him for that and... He narrates, I would never be one among them again. I was something different. So it shows that this attitude of he is something different started very young, very early. Set apart. Kamet has always been really alone for most of his life. And you get the sense that had he not been set apart or over other slaves, he would have been a part of their community. And so the very thing that he was... Um, proud of and took comfort in the fact that he could still wield power over other people in this limited way also um, like it it kept him from from those relationships and I think you know once he had been set apart through not really any doing of his own what else could he have done but try and try and see the silver lining in it you know and it's it's interesting that for all Kamet's talk about how set apart he was and how earlier he was narrating slaves don't do favors for other slaves, in this chapter, he does do a favor for a slave. But he gives himself away as, at the very least, a former slave because he goes out of his way to, like, not only does he notice that there's something up with the slaves, but he goes out of his way to help someone who is a slave. But the the person who figures that out decides to warn them instead of turning them in uh and so that breaks his rule right there costas apologizes for having brought them into the city and says you know i took a foolish risk and Kamet doesn't apologize but says several times in his narration i knew this was also my fault because i had wanted to go in he said, I'd been imagining them following our tracks, as if I were leaving a line across the landscape behind me like a crack in a china cup. Oh, there's that image again. Crockery means a lot in this series, guys. <laughs> but instead it was a, um, the Emperor's command was a, a stone tossed in a puddle, sending drops in all directions. Mm -hmm. I like that metaphor of the, the crack in the china cup, because there's so much that is about chance and fate and, um consequences like once a, a cup is broken you can mend it but it's never the same in the in the cup that he was looking at he can see the staples and they get the idea to even go into trauma to this magical well at the insistence of a of an onion farmer with a cataract one eye one eye one eye just like the wine merchant and like someone else we know <laughs> and Kamet narrates at the end uh we were lucky. We could have met the Namreen on the road with no warning at all if they hadn't gone to Trava. Mm -hmm. And it's cool that they're going into Legend has it the exact literal same well that Imikuk and Enikar went into. So again, myths are tied to the land just like Edith told the story of Hespira in the temple forecourt that Hespira's mother destroyed. And that's another repeated image, the well, which... We talked about last time how that's going to come back. They also, after they go visit the well, they hide in a bunch of pomegranate bushes, which is another thing that I associate with the underworld. So Kamet's 
little prophecy. Also, Kamet says, like, I think the priest probably just recycled, recycled prophecies. Spent the day saying the same ones. So his was kind of generic. Your journey will take you as further than you had imagined, which could work for any journey ever, which is like, okay. Very fortune cookie. <laughs> Would you like your lucky numbers? Costas's was, remember Imacook, pay the fastener. And Camus like, what was that originally that Costas just mistranslated and didn't hear right? <laughs> I don't remember what that means. I'm going to find that out anew on this time reading it. And we got a very interesting fireside conversation in this chapter. Um, Costas is saying that his king says that the emperor, meaning the current emperor's heir, must attack the little peninsula or die because expansion is what keeps the empire going and if the expansion can be stopped even for a very short time, the empire will break apart under its own weight. Yeah, because they'll have an internal war. That's so interesting. I was thinking about how they don't talk about that in Return of the Thief. I was just about to bring that up. I was shocked that that never shows up. I mean, it's something that we can assume happens after Return of the Thief. They're just not talking about it or thinking about it. But it's interesting that at the at the very end of Return of the Thief, when uh, like Atolia and Edis are agreeing to go back to the capital, um... Jen says, the Medes will return, or if not the Medes, someone else, and that's why we need to unite. So I was very interested to see that this thread from Thicca's Thieves wasn't picked up to see, to say, you know, okay, six months later we see the Mede Empire, you know, wasn't, was actually in trouble. Not everything needs to be cut and dried. I get it. I don't disagree with it, but... It's something that one could write more books about. I just thought it was a weird discrepancy between that and this. And Costas keeps saying, my king, my king, my king, my king. My king says. And uh, Kamet kind of thinks that he's he's naive and, and foolish and that so is the Aetolian king. And it's interesting that before Costas told him, like, oh, he pretends not to recognize the meat ambassador, and he's, you know, juvenile or whatever. Kamet had been giving Jen's idea serious consideration and then stopped giving it consideration once he heard this other thing about Jen. Jen's strategy in action. People are so distracted by um, what his left hand is doing that they don't notice what his hook is doing. Mm -hmm. And we see that Kamet has all of the sense of cultural superiority that the ambassadors we've seen have had. He even, he uses the same phrase that the ambassadors use over and over. I was sure. I was sure. And I, it's cool because this is the chapter beforehand there had been really, like, Kemet is in a particular um, social class because he's a slave, but there was nothing really, like, separating him from the Medes before. Uh, there was nothing to say that he was not Mead in like a meaningful way and in this chapter he talks about where he's from and he thinks about his mother and and having come to the Mead Empire and so he's sort of being teased out of this identity and to be to be fair to Kamek these are also his his real opinions he's saying 
you know, he has a whole speech about how much better it is. The little peninsula's constant wars disrupt the trade route. He says it's not about conquering, it's about business and prosperity. Prosperity for everyone. And a working sewer system. Yeah. (laughs) And all of you little countries would just be so much better off if you would let us take over. And I noticed a real parallel between this and the Magus' arguments for why Sunas should take over Edis and Atolia. In both the Thief and the uh, Queen of Atolia. But of course... Jen takes over Sunus and Edis because it's better for everyone and he's the hero. And Costas, just like Jen does in The Thief when uh, when they're talking about Sunusians coming in to invade, you know, not invade, like take over Atolian land, uh, Jen says the Atolians might object and Costas says here to Kamet, is that how you felt when the king of Setra handed over his empire? And Kamet hadn't cared then, because he says he, when the raiders who had taken him had been put down, he'd been happy, but he also, like, wasn't identifying as Setran mm-hmm. by that point, it seems. But he's very, um, when they're in the city and they're trying to get out, it's clear that, um, being a Setran is something that people think of Kamet as soon as they meet him. He's He reads visually as that um, because they were worried about, oh, a Setran and an Atolian seen together. That's very specific. Yeah, and um, when Costas is surprised, saying, oh, you're not a Mede, Kamet narrates, I wanted to ask him, did I look like a Mede? <laughs> yeah, and, like, Costas doesn't have that um, those that context. And also, like, half of the people or more that Costas seems to have met in the Empire so far have been foreigners anyway. Mm-hmm. Costas is great at lying. He is, isn't he? He does the whole gambling thing where he loses a bunch of money and he plays up being an Atolian and he's doing an errand for his father and then they need to get rid of the slave chain just to make a buck. Uh, and it, it works. It's so smooth. Have Has Jen been giving him lessons? Did they do like a <laughs> like some acting training, some Stanislavski over at the Atolian Palace before he left? Was that part of it along with his with his Mead language lessons? And and Kamet does a good job too. Your honored father. They really uh they're yes anding each other here. Clearly on the same wavelength. And Kamet says So like in Cautious's role as this guy, he tells Kamet to shut up. And Kemet says, narrates, They were the first rude words he had spoken to me, and they cut, although I knew they weren't meant to. So, another sign. Friendship. They like each other. And he's thinking of Costas as, um, as, a, as a kind of thoughtful, measured person. He says, what is it? Then he considered the way he often did, thinking things through before he spoke again. And he says that the, the whole rigmarole about getting rid of the the slave chain with the gambling is the most words that he's heard Costas speak this whole time. And Costas says after, you know, Kemet answers all his rude questions mm-hmm. about his life, uh, back home I have a reputation for being closed-mouthed. Yeah, but, but Costas wants to know about Kemet. It's cool to get the outside perspective on Jen in this book, but it's also cool to get the outside perspective on Costas, because the only other book that we have that features Costas so heavily is Costas' point of view. 
I wanted to bring up when they were uh, discussing whether or not to go into the city to see the well. Kamet says that he pointed out to Costas, We were not on an educational tour visiting the monuments of the Empire like wealthy adolescents. So they have grand tours in this universe. That would be some nice fic. That would be. You're right. Yeah, and he, he uses the word tourist. Says Costas was he had a tourist's desire to see the well. And they wait in line, you know, to go into the well. Kamet, they successfully get rid of the slave chain, which is a very clever plan and it works. Hurrah. But Kamet decides to keep the um, ownership seal. What do you think about that? Yeah, I think he's still just... This is the one thing he has left from his former life. And he was, he you know, he narrated in an earlier chapter, I always thought that this belonged to me just as much as I belonged to Hoosierish or whatever. So, like, this is actually... Isn't this, like, the only quote-unquote possession he has left? Yeah. And he talks about how when the old secretary died, he inherited his desk and he said, I thought of it as, I called it mine, even though he knew that both the desk and he belonged to Nehusaresh. And like the, the, his physical possessions or the things that he can think of as his physical possessions have been really important to him. All the texts he had acquired mm-hmm. that he had to leave behind. <laughs> chapter five next time even more lying gets them out of a tight spot send us your comments questions and thoughts chime in at atolianarchives.tumblr.com